This program contains adult content. Is there a God? A big atheist. Really? What, am I an idiot? Come on. That yes, it would be nice if you could throw your sins and your responsibilities on someone else. But it's not true. It looks like far left lunacy. I don't believe that it's true that religion is moral or ethical. You don't need to follow anybody! It's not human intelligence! If someone doesn't value logical consistency, what logical argument are you going to give them that will demonstrate that they should? Hello and welcome to the Godless Revolution. Today is Thursday, September 30th. This is episode 352. My name is Dan Ellis and I am joined via remote connection by two awesome co-hosts, Mr. Ryan Duffy. Oh, I'm awesome? Cool. I think so. I think you're pretty pretty spectacular, man. I was hoping you were talking about me. <laughs> Mr. Rod, not Ryan Grin, Mr. Taylor Grin. How are you doing, man? Double credits for Ryan. I see how it is. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so much Ryan to go around, man. Uh, there is. <laughs> what has been going on in your life for the last week? Well, I, uh, I, I, I might have found a kind of venue i might be able to go try to sell some wares at and try that out for a little bit here hopefully in december and january oh yeah sarah found it for me actually it's at the uh the monarch in ogden it's like an art exhibit type place but year round they're gonna start having little bazaars for artists to come in and sell their wares so i'm I'm trying to make some stuff to to sell there right now a bazaar of bizarre things actually that's kind of how they're framing because a lot of people like their stuff won't be accepted into other farmers markets because they're like weird and like eclectic. So like, so like you need we don't like if you got stuff you want to sell, we'll take we'll take you. Like we don't care what it is. Yeah. If you want to sell a bunch of skulls, come sell a bunch of skulls. Please. I like weird shit. I may need you to go around taking some photos. Okay. <laughs> well, it's like I, I, I would hope that they would have some kind of disclaimer up front, like, please no Confederacy stuff, no Nazi stuff. No <laughs> I'm 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 pretty sure the groups that go there aren't aren't flowing that direction. Oh good. Oh good, because that seems to, not- to having that seems to be having a bit of a heyday or resurgence lately. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's not a Trump rally. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's cool. That's exciting. When, and so, yeah. you said that's December, January. So that's when I have those Sundays off. So oh, okay. in December and January, I have weekends off again. So I'm going to try to uh, get some stuff put together that I can hopefully get a spot to go there and try it out. Oh, very cool. Very so, cool. Yeah. How about uh, you, Mr. Grin? <sighs> um, mixed. I'm really excited about the, uh, the thing that we did that we're going to talk about in the B block. Um, <laughs> it's so cool. I, I am a little bit bummed. Um, our kitten, we, uh, we talked about this a few months ago. We adopted the kitten mm-hmm. and uh, it tested initially positive for FIV. Mm-hmm. Um, and we let the person that we adopted the kitten from know that. And they went and got the rest of the litter tested and all of them tested negative for FIV. So we were hopeful that it was a false positive with our kitten, Mm. and it was not. We Uh, found out yesterday. So he does have FIV. Where would he have gotten it? Uh, His mother is is pretty much like he just got the bad luck of the litter and and did inherit it from his mom. Well, not inherit it, but it was passed to him by his mother. Yeah. Um, Which sucks. Uh, it, It means that like, not ever, not on a leash, not for cool Instagram photos on the beach. Will he ever be allowed outside? Um, and then we've got to be very careful about um, 
like what we feed him um, about him going after like table scraps and stuff. Uh, and we're, we'll actually have to be really careful if we ever choose to get a dog because he's going to be really, really susceptible to harm from parasites mm-hmm. um, and like foreign infections and that kind of thing. Um, and we're going to get uh, avocado tested too to make sure that he hasn't gotten it from the kitten. And we've got to make sure that the kitten never bites him hard enough to do a spit to blood transfer that might get avocado that but he's also a really good kitten Mm. um so we're we're keeping him we're going to take care of him all that jazz and like he can live a long fairly healthy life it's just that when he starts to go it'll be like a fairly catastrophic quick rapid rapid decline so um just something we have to know but like if if you're ever thinking of adopting cats especially if you're thinking of adopting a single cat like you can adopt a cat with fiv that will be like healthy and happy for almost all of its life, you know, uh, and better off than just being put to sleep as a kitten. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you're in a place listener to, uh, to do that and then just, you know, be, be willing to do the humane thing when it does reach the end of its life and, and, um, you know, put it to sleep before it starts to suffer, you know, yeah. is the other thing, like, like be, be willing to be, to put the animal before yourself. When do the difficult comes. thing. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because we're moving into Halloween month, uh, you know, so the, the kitten you've adopted is a black cat. Mm-hmm. And I've heard a couple conflicting things about the adoption of black cats. I've heard that um, black cats are often adopted around this time of year and that and shelters returned. shelters, and, and places like that need to keep a uh, watchful eye out because of people doing nefarious things with black cats and i've also heard the converse that black cats are not adopted as often because they are black cats i'll uh i'll i'll make a note to look into that okay um, yeah it was just out of the blue i didn't know if you'd heard anything about it I, well i've no, heard yeah, that with dogs former, as well yeah, yeah. The, like the black dogs are harder to adopt strikes me as being like one of those satanic panic kind of things yeah, or like yeah the, like razor blades and candy like yeah, it just has that same that know, same vibe yeah me. yeah yeah so i'll look into that um well i've, I, I've heard I, it where they use them as a prop for halloween like okay gotcha. halloween's yeah, over with our, we don't like need our prop anymore around easter yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, apparently I found out from my neighbors that our cat has become semi-famous in the neighborhood because we've got a cat tower that's um, at the window next to my office, which faces our street. Mm-hmm. And apparently people will look at him as they walk by because they'll sleep in that tower and just look out on the street. So I'm trying to figure out a good window display that I can come up with for Halloween. Like an actual, like, <laughs> focus on, on the him. outside. Yeah, or something like that. Well, you've got those bat wings he, that looked pretty awesome on him. He hates them so much. <laughs> I've never seen a cat's ears just <laughs> instantly <so> much. <laughs> instantly yeah. flatten against its head. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's uh, funny. Now He's you really cute. look like Toothless, yeah. <laughs> Um, I have you been, Oh, good. Just super busy. Um, I have also been walking a lot more. That's fun. I I got the treadmill and been doing all of that and, and, you know, golfing with my electric golf cart. That's been awfully fun though. On Tuesday when we played, um, our tea time to start is at three 30. And by the time we were 
trying to wrap up 18 holes like we got we got 16 holes in and then it was just too fucking dark to play the last yeah. two holes like we were we, mm. we had to break out our cell phones and we're using them to navigate our way through the fairway back to the <laughs> back to the clubhouse because it wasn't just like twilight or dusky like it was fucking it was dark. dark by the time we got back to the fucking clubhouse. dark yeah so, hey bill standing on the green with the flashlight so we'll <laughs> so we i i mean i i, I purchased a 330 reservation tea time for the men's league this year and we're hoping that if we show up earlier that we'll be able to get out and you know this time of year less people start showing up so that's a possibility but it might not mm -hmm. be doable i i don't understand how there isn't like a fairly popularized movement at this point to end daylight savings time oh there should they be should. absolutely because it's yeah. dumb like it's an arcane yeah, it's well, no longer yeah. needed. Yeah, well, and, and I would hope that if it is ended, that we maintain the time we're on now. Like, yeah, I yeah, like right. having yeah, yeah. it light later in the evening or later in the afternoon mm -hmm. versus being light yeah, I hate early how it in the gets morning. dark at like five o'clock in the evening. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah and that. that's, yeah, it's ridiculous. That's going to happen in a month. So, yeah. Yeah, I hope that changes. And then, other than that, it's just, um, I've been doing a lot of really good work at work and have been, I've, I've been noticed. Senpai has noticed Ooh. me. <laughs> and so, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have expected work. that reference from you, Dan. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and so, so, so I've been asked to do more work at the division level, you know, up from the branch level at the division level. And, but that that's going to be in addition to my regular duties where I was already so busy. So, uh, I'll be working a ton of overtime again here for the next little while. That's going to be consuming a whole bunch of my time and yeah that's i'm so i'm not looking forward to all of the work but it is nice to be recognized as being a good employee and as and known as somebody who can pitch in to help out with a bunch of other stuff so that's good but what i am very excited about this week is that we've wrapped up a fantastic awesome so good interview with mr andrew seidel of the freedom from religion foundation that was just amazing. And Taylor did a yeah. fantastic job during the interview. That was, that was just, it was so good. It was such a great interview. He's such a good interviewee and thinker and just knows his shit so well inside and out and is awesome. Awesome to have on the show. I was so excited about it. There were, there were a few questions where I was like, I don't know if I should just like throw this out on the fly and his ability to just like, Oh, oh yeah. no, I've, I've given that some thought. Like here's, here's some people's names. Here's some stuff that <laughs> we've done research on. It was like, Oh, <laughs> yeah. it was just a blast. Yeah. So having said all of that, without any further ado, I'm going to just uh, take a little break here. And on the other side, we'll drop you into the interview that we had with Andrew Seidel on Christian nationalism. Hi, everybody. This is Mikey Weinstein. I'm the founder and president of the Military Religious Freedom Foundation, and you are listening to The Godless Revolution. I'm so sorry to hear about you splitting up with Miss Melissa, though I do suppose that means you'll be looking for a basket to bid on tonight. Oh, no, no. I, I, I mean, uh, wait, what, what, uh, what, what basket? Well, tonight's the annual picnic basket auction to raise money to buy books for the library. And replace the ones the Reverend's wife burned. <laughs> Rejoining the Godless Revolution podcast now. All right, folks, I am ecstatic to introduce Andrew L. Seidel. He is a constitutional attorney, director of strategic response with the Freedom From Religion Foundation. He has a bachelor in science in neuroscience and several law degrees. 
each of which with academic honors and awards. Uh, did we miss anything there, Andrew? No, I mean, former Grand Canyon <laughs> tour guide is kind of fun, but uh, Ooh, yeah, no. big fan. I'm from the Southwest. Top. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that's that's good. Yeah, and uh, you've got your first book, The Founding Myth: Why Christian Nationalism Is Un-American. And uh, apart from my textbooks in college, I don't think I've ever written so many notes in the margin of a book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, no, I'm thrilled to hear that. That is honestly, for me, that's the best compliment I can get for that book uh, as an author. Um, you know, in the before times when we weren't battling a politicized pandemic and I would go travel around the country and do book talks, um, I would I would get such a kick out of the people who would bring their books up with tabs and all the dog ears and all the notes <laughs> and the highlighting. Like that's that just to me is... That's the stuff yep. I love. Yeah, I love yep. to see it. So I'm glad. Yeah. Um, and and I I um, plagiarized a little bit from your book, uh, uh, took from it quite liberally in a uh, uh, miniseries that we did very recently nice. on Christian nationalism. Um, but you were credited. You, you, you were credited. I'm being I, silly. I mean, the goal, the goal is to get this information out there yeah. to rip apart the myths that underlie this truly un-American identity and, you know, work to hopefully stop it. So yeah, I'm yeah. all for it. No, that's fantastic. And that took you what, 10 years to write. It was a labor of love, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it really was. Um, it took uh, start to finish. So start to publication, it took about a decade. Um, I initially just kind of was doing it, um, for my own personal interest. And I thought it was going to be a law review article, mm. um, you know, a short, maybe, maybe 10, 15,000 word thing. And the more I worked on it and the more I did and the more I researched, um, it kept kind of getting, it, it, there was just more there. Um, and, and I was talking with Susan Jacoby about it um, five or six years in. And I'd been thinking about self-publishing. I'd been thinking about letting FFRF publish it. And she said, no, uh, you've, you just got to take this and you got to try and I'll help you get an agent. I'll introduce you to some publishers and I'll write the foreword if you want. And so all of that happened. Um, and then it was just, you know, kind of a, a way to the races. And once that happened, it was actually a, a reasonably quick process, but I had just been kind of poking around on my own for a while. And then she took me under her wing and yeah, I owe a lot to her. That is, that's fantastic. I, um, yeah. I want to make sure that that our listeners, we're going to include a link in the show notes, but I want to make sure our listeners can can seek out that book at the place that's going to be best for you. Um, so where would you direct, you know, listeners to find a copy of that book? Uh, well, I would encourage everybody to order the the new paperback that is coming out. Um, so the, the hard, they stopped printing the hardback um, and the, the new paperback drops sometime in November. So you have to wait a little bit, um, but get it wherever you get books. I, I like to direct people to bookshop.org that supports your local uh, bookstores. Um, uh, it's a, kind of a really cool website um, to order any book from, but please go get a copy of the founding myth. Uh, but yeah, go pre-order the, the paperback because it's got a whole new brand new epilogue, all new information about January 6th and the role that Christian nationalism played in that insurrection. Okay. Um, probably worth getting, even if you've got the hardback and it's well-tabbed and annotated. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and speaking of that connection between Christian nationalism and January 6th, um, the Freedom From Religion Foundation is hosting their 44th annual conference in Boston this year, um, mm -hmm. which listeners you can go to as long as you can show proof of vaccination. Um, it's going to be from November 19th to 21st. And you are presenting on just that Christian nationalism in January 6th. Um, would you be willing to give us a little bit of a sneak peek about what you'll be covering in that uh, speech? 
Yeah, so I'm doing a little workshop on Christian nationalism, uh, and it is going to focus on the role that it played in January 6th. Um, you know, the, the subtitle of the founding myth is why Christian nationalism is un-American. And, it, you know, it's not often <laughs> that you choose a subtitle for a book and then the subject runs out to prove you right in like the grandest, most ridiculous <laughs> way possible. Um, but, you know, that's what happened. I mean, Christian nationalists attacked American democracy. They attempted to overturn the results of a free and fair election. And they proved beyond all doubt that Christian nationalism really is un-American. Mm-hmm. And for, for a long time, the the identity underlying Christian national. Well, first of all, I guess you did a mini series, but just for people who might be hearing this for the first time, Christian nationalism is basically the idea that the United States was founded as a Christian nation. They were based on Judeo Christian principles and that we've, we've strayed from that foundation, right? We've gotten away from those roots and we have to get back to those godly roots. Otherwise, you know, we're going to fall into decay. Mm -hmm. Um, And for a long time that that was treated as a historical debate. Um, You know, are we a Christian nation or are we not? And, it never really was. And the, the fascinating thing for me about January 6th is that Christian nationalism ripped off its mask that day. Mm-hmm. And it, it showed that it was not this scholarly debate about how America was founded, but a violent exclusionary movement that is bent on seizing power mm-hmm. in the here and now. Um, and, and I mean, you know, a few of us scholars have been kind of having that conversation in this sort of like side street, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Andrew, Andrew Whitehead, Catherine Stewart, Sam Perry, uh, Robbie Jones, Chrissy Stroop, Sarah Posner, uh, Michelle Goldberg wrote about it back in 2006, yeah. um, Jack Jenkins and Jeff Charlotte. And then the January 6th kind of pushed that into the mainstream for like a little while. Uh, but already you can see the country seems to be kind of forgetting about it. I, I, however, have been just immersed in just this world of shit, uh, since <laughs> January 6th, I've been scouring photos and videos and court cases and you know just dipping your toe into that world is really alarming but i've just i you know i'm really i'm swimming in it um, yeah. and i am i am more convinced now than ever before about the role that christian nationalism played in attacking our democracy um yeah. you know I, and I mean, just think about that day. Did everybody watch it? Did you guys all watch it on? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was watching the live streams while like on my lunch break mm-hmm. yeah. at work and stuff, just playing. Yeah. I'm like, this is, this is, I cool. was, yeah. I was yeah. cooking breakfast and my brother comes into the room and he says, Hey, uh, are you watching TV, the protests? And I was like, nah, man, like it's just a bunch of impotent right wingers. And he's like, no, no, no. They're like storming the Capitol. And yeah. the, the last time that I felt like I did on January 6th was 9 11. Mm hmm. Me too. I felt I felt very similar feelings. You know, I, I watched in horror as the assault unfolded. Um, but just, I mean, just think back, and and you didn't see unless I saw the the in on the floor of the Senate. I saw this guy parade the Christian flag onto the floor yeah. of the Senate mm-hmm. um, live, and that for me was a big signal. I already knew how much. Christian nationalism had played in the, in the, the Trump movement. Um, but I, I was blown away when I saw that, yeah. that guy, by the way, the guy who carried that flag rifled through Senator's desk, took photos of their stuff is still at large. Don't know wow. who he is, has not been wow. captured. Mm. Um, I, but, um, I mean, oh, go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. <laughs> I was just gonna say, think, think back to the other things that happened that day. Like, like Paula white began that rally with a prayer. 
And in true Christian nationalist fashion, she actually added the United States of America to the Lord's prayer that is written Mm -hmm. down in Matthew six. So she added this prayer that according to the Bible, Jesus himself wrote. Right. right. Let me just go ahead and change that and throw America (laughs) into that. Mm -hmm. It's also in the same chapter of the Bible where Jesus tells people not to pray in public like the hypocrites do. Mm -hmm. Never mind. So she's praying. But, you know, and Trump ends the rally um, with the call to march to the Capitol. And those his last words were the same that Nixon used to distract the country from Watergate. God bless you and God bless America. That's the first Mm -hmm. time it ended a presidential. Right. No, right. There were there were impromptu worship concerts that broke out on the short walk to the Capitol. The Proud Boys knelt in prayer. They were hailed as God's warriors. I mean, and the, and the prayer was just full of typical Christian nationalist rhetoric. Yeah, so they, yeah. they marched and then they attack. Um, and, I mean, you you don't have to look very hard to see it. A lot of the imagery is now infamous, right? There was that huge wooden cross that was juxtaposed with the gallows. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look closely at the gallows, they actually signed it like it was a mm-hmm. yearbook. Hang them high in God we trust. God bless the USA. Hang for treason. Amen. Um, I mean, you, you saw the signs in God we trust. Jesus saves. Jesus 2020. There are Bible verses, more crosses. Uh, one, of, one of the signs uh, that, that stuck with me um, that I didn't see on the day of, but when I've been swimming in this world, is I am on your side, God. Right. Mm. Just and and that really is. I mean, another guy, as he was charging up the stairs and into the Capitol, holds a Bible up over his head, you know, like like it is a battle standard or some Napoleonic eagle. Mm. Um, I mean, there's there's so much from that day. So to right. circle that back to your your question, <laughs> I re- I'm, I, I'm, I'm recounting a lot of that in the epilogue of the founding myth. But I'm also going to talk about that Um and and show some videos and show some photos um, during my presentation at the FFRF convention. And and I, I can't be more specific than this right now, but th- there is going to be a, a rather sizable reveal on that front um, coming up, hopefully in the next month, but may, we may... We may have to postpone a little while. We're going to see. Mm-hmm. Um, I, can't, I can't be more specific than that, unfortunately, right now. No, I get it. And when you can, um, you know, we'll, we'll be keeping an eye out for it. But make sure to let us know, and we'll be happy. I, I think if you're following Christian nationalism, you, you this is I think will be a hard thing to miss when it happens. But yes, I will certainly, <laughs> I will certainly shoot you an email. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll I'll be looking out for it, and I'm I'm looking to uh, attend that conference myself. Uh, so hopefully, I'll see you there. Um, Hopefully I can get one of those paperbacks uh, while I'm there. So, well, and I just, um, I just learned something new. Like I didn't have any idea that they were signing the gallows that they had erected there. And, and mm -hmm, a lot of the other imagery that you just mentioned in particular, um, you know, people holding up, you know, Bibles and stuff. It's, it's, I can't think of any more harmful or destructive animating force than believing that the all powerful creator of the universe has, you know, instructed you or is on your side in your righteous crusade to bring the country back to him. That's, that's terrifying. And that, that is what this is. I mean, and if you, if you listen to the member, they get, they gave a prayer on the floor of the Senate. Um, you know, one of the guys afterwards said we consecrated it to Jesus. That to me was the ultimate statement of where we are in this movement. And, and he's not wrong. It is a statement of where they are in the movement. Yeah. Um, Another insurrectionist who was there for the prayer said, I just wanted to get into the building so that I could plead the blood of Jesus over it. That was my goal. Um, and he spent, then he spends 40 minutes recounting how Jesus told him to do this. And Jesus told him to do that. And this dialogue that he had with God is he's attacking the Capitol. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, uh, you know, uh, one of the more famous insurrectionists, um, you, you might have even seen this video if you were watching that day. I think it kind of went viral either that day or the next day. Um, she had a Trump flag tied around her neck like a cape. Mm-hmm. And she's sipping this post-assault Coors Light. Um, and she's, you know, doing the selfie video. And she, you know, she says, to me, God and country are tied. They're one and the same. We were founded as a Christian country. And to see how far we've come from that. We are a godly country founded on godly principles. Yeah. And, and I mean, that that's literally exactly the thesis that I'm destroying in the founding myth. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's the central motivating force of Christian nationalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you rarely get such clear statements on it. And they were just, they were everywhere that day. Well, everywhere. And it, it reminds me of Jason Stanley's writing on like the heralding of a mythical, mythologized past um, yeah. as one of the key pillars of, of fascist movements. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's that. It's it's funny to me, uh, not funny, but it's it's really interesting to me hearing you talk about that, you know, because there, there are elements of the Christian nationalist, you know, iconography that I hadn't seen that you've talked about here mm-hmm. um, about January 6th. Um, I've, I've written a little bit about how the intelligence community in America, especially counter-violent extremism uh, researchers, aren't paying enough attention to white supremacists and Christian nationalists. Um, and I was listening to a podcast, um, Intelligence Matters, yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, where they were talking about having done statistical analysis on the people who were involved with the January 6th uh, insurrection. Nice. And it was really funny to me because they were trying to figure out what caused, um, quote, ordinary people to become violent extremists overnight. And then the interviewer, who was a member of the intelligence community, said, how can we extrapolate this and, and use it to understand why you know global Muslims might end up becoming Islamic extremists, right? Because that's a global issue. And I couldn't help but facepalm and think, well, if you only understood the way that Christians could become Christian nationalists and extremists overnight. You're, you're so, they're so close to grasping it. Yeah, yeah, and they just can't seem to get just it. Just missed it. Oh. Yeah, I, I was talking with um, Luke Mogelson, who's a, a journalist. He was actually, he was the one who shot the footage for The New Yorker um, that, that kind of blew up after January 6th that they, they published. He's the one who captured the prayer in the, in mm-hmm. the on the floor of the Senate. Um, and I was talking with him about this and we were talking about how all of the different, oh, there were so many different disparate groups there, um, mm-hmm. Q, QAnon, um, the, the militia groups, the three percenters, the Oath Keeper, you know, all, all mm-hmm. these different, and they, they seem to be just so what united them. And, and to me, the answer was obvious, but, and Luke was saying, you know, I, it did, never occurred to me, but it was so clear being there that day that, that mm-hmm. Christianity was right. the uniting right. factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that Christian nationalism was the umbrella that tied it all together, basically. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, it, that's that's exactly what it is. I mean, that's why they had statues of Jesus and the Virgin Mary over their heads running into the Capitol. That's why the QAnon portrait of Jesus was paraded with them. I don't know yeah. if you saw this yeah. is Jesus with his red MAGA hat and oh, yeah, oh. the QAnon <laughs> stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Now that's Matt Shea kind of stuff. Yeah, it's not that. that. And, and Ryan, your, your, your point, I mean, like, the, actually, I don't know if it was Ryan, but whoever made the point about like the, the, the terror of God being on that side is mm-hmm. I mean, that that is the central message that they they hammered mm-hmm. day after day after day from Election Day up to January 6th. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they, they really, really did. I mean, right. Like 
Trump looked up at the sky and said, I am the chosen one in an interview. Yeah. And it was just treated like it was no big deal. Like uh, that is going to lead to this. The, the, yeah. one, of the, one of the attackers who kicked in Pelosi's door um, saying he was going to tear her into little pieces. He was actually, he's actually an attorney, which is side sidebar. Um, oh, but, but at one of his hearings, he recounted, he said, he said, God is on Trump's side. God is not on the Democrats side. And then this is what he added, which is, a perfect illustration. And if patriots have to kill 60 million of these communists, it's God's will. Holy shit. Yeah. Which is wow. Crazy. <sighs> yeah. Now when I look at this, obviously Christian nationalism, Christian nationalism has been around for a while, mm-hmm. but I kind of view like Trump as the catalyst for it. He's the one that basically, like you said, all these groups had one thing in common and he kind of got them to come out of the shadows and bring yeah. these groups together yeah. in a way. So the imperfect happened without Trump or so that's a really good question. So there have been waves of Christian nationalism throughout American history. Um, we see, we saw a big one in the lead up to the civil war. Um, uh, which incidentally is when we got in God, we trust on our coinage. Saw another, another big one with McCarthyism mm-hmm. um, right around that same time, uh, which was, uh, and both of these I, re- I recount in, in the founding myth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then there are, there are more, m- more frequent and also um, more frequent waves of Christian nationalism that, that kind of died a little bit quicker, um, basically almost every decade since 1950s. Um, it's hard to pinpoint what is, I think you're right to call, I think, I think the word catalyst is actually a very good way to describe it because it, it, there is a feedback cycle that occurs um, with, with Trump um, basically like he's like a mama bird that like absorbs all of their grievances, chews it up and regurgitates it back to them Mm -hmm. in, in this form. And then they feed off it. And then, you know, and it, you kind of get this sick sort of cycle, um, uh, that, that, they feed off each other. I don't think Trump tapped into Christian nationalism Mm -hmm. in a way that we hadn't seen, but it it was already there under the surface. Um, you know, if you look at Whitehead and Perry's, studies that, that I mean basically a quarter of the country are like hardcore Christian nationalists. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and that was there before Trump. I think that, I mean, the tea party movement, it, it had a pretty big strain of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so well, it, it gives me real Charles Lindbergh vibes to be honest from like the 1930s. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, Sarah Churchwell wrote a great book, um, on this. Um, I think it's behold America. The name is escaping me, but she's basically tracing like the America first, um, rhetoric, uh, and you know, through the last century. And, and there are a lot of, uh, overlaps. Uh, I mean, if we, if you want to do the red string thing, there are, there are certainly a lot of overlaps. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so, so one of the questions I've had, I've had for quite some time is mm-hmm. aside from like the, the fairly typical, like donate money to X, Y, Z group that is, that is performing advocacy, right? Like, like the FFRF. Um, what, what can the average person do to oppose Christian nationalism, whether at the local level, uh, uh, national level, like what, what can average listener do to help? It's a really good question. Um, and a few things jump to mind. One is to not let it slide. Um, you know, I think for a long time, the the myths and the claims of Christian nationalism just went unchallenged. 
uh, and uncritically accepted in part because of what I was talking about at the beginning, they were kind of treated as like a historical question. Oh, we'll let the, we'll let the historians figure that out, which the other side is not doing. Mm-hmm. And they've now been able to build up an ent- build up an entire identity yeah. around, around this disinformation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I think we really do have to work to counter the disinformation. I think that that's just one of the key things. And so when you hear somebody say this, uh, you know, on Facebook or on Twitter, wherever you are, um, don't let it go un unchallenged. You see it in, on a, you know, an article in the Washington post or your local paper, like write a letter to the editor and respond and explain why that's, that's not accurate. Um, I mean, the, the, because the entire identity is based on lies and myths. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really is, but it, but it's also validated by modern representations of the myths that those previous waves of Christian nationalism that we were just talking about have imposed on the country. Things like "In God We Trust," things like "One Nation Under God," mm-hmm. um, which is one of the reasons I think it's so important to to fight back against those. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, so I mean that's one thing. Just just don't don't let it pass by unchallenged. Um, and the second thing is, I, I think. Going back to what you were talking about, Taylor, with that podcast, the Intel podcast, and they just they couldn't make the leap from the fact that that Christians could be extremists. Right there. We as a society have a mental block that doesn't let us think of Christians as possibly being bad people. Mm hmm. The good person is synonymous with Christian in the American psyche. And that is a huge problem for our ability to just see what is actually happening. Right. And one of the best things that you can do as an individual to combat that is, is to be an open, proud, unabashed non-believer. Whatever label you choose to call yourself, I call myself an atheist. I'm also an agnostic and a humanist, all these other things. But uh, don't be shy about calling yourself that. Um, and and um, tied to that, um, and that, that really is probably the easiest, most important thing that anybody out there listening can do. I, I really do. I think that's the best thing you can do for the secular movement as a whole um, is to just come out of the closet. Um, but tied to that is don't engage in this sort of um, Christian supremacist framing of, well, real Christians wouldn't do that. Real Christians and fake Christians, right? Like mm-hmm. real Christians would never storm the Capitol because real mm-hmm. Christians are good people. Mm-hmm. That, that, that that's nonsense. Um, and, and you're, you're buying into it and you're, you're rejecting, you're doing the work of Christianity for it. Um, you're doing the public relations work of Christianity. Uh, so, I mean, really we have to, we absolutely have to, to reject. That. I mean, those are kind of, those are kind of some of the, 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 the big easy things I think that an individual can do. Hello, I'm Lloyd Evans. I'm a former Jehovah's witness. I'm the author of the reluctant apostate and senior editor of JWSurvey.org. And you are listening to the godless revolution. Oh, come in. More balls. Oh, I did. Yikes. I haven't seen someone that disappointed to see me since I wore a red baseball cap to a Planned Parenthood fundraiser. Thank you to everybody who has rated the show on iTunes and Stitcher and are following us on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. And to all our Patreon patrons, you make the show possible. Okay. Um, I want to make sure that we have enough time, um, but I'd like to ask you a little bit about... Um, an act that, correct me if I'm wrong, the FFRF has endorsed. Um, yeah. It's it's being put forward, I want to say, by Jamie Raskin. 
uh, the Do No Harm Act. Yeah, the Do No Harm Act. It's a it's a really important bill. Um, so to, to understand, we have to go back to 1993, and Congress passed something called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Rifra, Rifra. Rifra. Um, so, and, and actually, let me just say to you at the outset here, um, I have a new book coming out next year that is tentatively titled weaponizing religious freedom. Um, and it's all, it's all about how this Supreme court is redefining religious freedom from a protection into a weapon. So yeah, that it's fantastic. Um, I'm really excited about it. Um, the, the manuscript's going to be due um, in about 62 days, give or take. <laughs> Not that I'm counting. <laughs> <But> who's counting? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and it's. I, I get into a lot of this, and I, 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 you could, I have the whole, I have the history of Rifra and the, the case that preceded it, and how this sort of this this crazy confluence of events that led to Rifra. Um, but anyway. Um, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act essentially did this. It, it redefined religious freedom um, to give people exemptions from the law. Um, if you have a sincerely held religious belief about X and the law says X, you don't have to do it. Um, basically, this is an oversimplification, and I'm not going to get into those silly legal tests, but um, that has also been weaponized. Um, the, the Hobby Lobby case is the best example. This is what most people are most going to be familiar with, right? Mm -hmm. Hobby Lobby sued under RIFRA to say the public company that the Green family owns, or excuse me, the privately held company that the Green family owns through a series of trusts does not have to provide uh, contraception coverage to its employees because God. Yeah. Um, so, and th that is where you see RIFRA was probably for the most part, so for most of the people who supported it at the time meant to be, it, it was, it had good intentions. Um, it was meant to be a pushback on the Supreme court, but it's been completely weaponized and turned against. And you get things like the Hobby Lobby case, the masterpiece cake shop case is very similar. Um, though it was not uh, brought under RIFRA, it was brought under the first amendment. But anyway, the do no harm act would fix that problem with RIFRA. It would essentially say RIFRA cannot be used as a way to discriminate uh, religion okay. does not become a justification um, to to harm religious minorities or women or non-believers or LGBTQ folks, um, and, and that that's what the Do No Harms Act seeks to do. Um, it's a good step in the right direction. Um, however, we don't need RIFRA. RIFRA should be repealed. That 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 should that is the real solution here. We don't need it because we have a first amendment, which already does a pretty mm -hmm. good job of drawing the lines, uh, for protecting religious liberty. Um, and RIFRA pushed it too far. Um, and once the, I call them the crusaders in the new book, uh, realized the power of RIFRA, um, mm -hmm. they really, they really tried to take it and run and you get cases like Hobby Lobby. Yeah. Um, and, and now they're, what they're trying to do now is take that same understanding and graft it onto the first amendment, which is why you're getting cases like, like the masterpiece cake shop. Yeah. Gay yeah. wedding cake case. Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, the Philadelphia, um, adoption case and Fulton. Yeah. Yep. yeah I mean, I mean the, the simple, the simplest way to say this is religious freedom has never, ever in the history of the United States been an excuse 
to harm the rights of somebody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this makes, it makes perfect sense because to allow that is to say that your right to religious freedom is more important than their right to X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not what we have in this. We don't have a hierarchy of rights with religious freedom sitting at the top of the pyramid and every, everything else below. But that's right. exactly what we are seeing Christian nationalists and this Supreme court trying to do, right. You're going to get religious freedom at the top of the pyramid, then probably the second amendment right below it. Um, and then <laughs> fuck all your other rights. We don't care. Yeah. And I've, I've always been frustrated at even little cases where like religious, uh, lines of thinking are given a higher priority than other lines of thinking. You know, when I was in the military, it was pretty frequent that, um, you know, Christian individuals would regularly be scheduled off on a Sunday. Yep. And if you had a good reason to be off on a Sunday, but it wasn't a Christian reason to be off on a Sunday, you, you wouldn't be looked at with any sort of priority or, or even like yeah. if you think of school lunches, you know, if you're, if you're a Christian or if you're a Muslim and don't want to eat pork, right. But if you're a vegetarian, you know, for the same reason, you might not be given any sort of exemption. So, yeah, I start getting into that at the end of the book quite a bit. Um, oh, good. And I mean, it's a it's a really good point too, and it pops up in the military context a lot. And originally, actually, um, the, the the cases that are sort of seminal in that point are are the Welsh and Seeker cases, and basically. Um, you could be exempted from the draft if you belonged to a, a pacifist religion. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were raised a Quaker, it was really be easy to get exempt from the draft. But if you had taken the time to read and understand and developed a deeply held philosophical objection to warfare, that was not given the same rights though mm-hmm. i think looking at those two beliefs objectively side by side like i think one we should value more than the other yes one is imposed and indoctrinated and one is arrived at through rational logical thought and education like mm-hmm. one of those is better um and we don't treat that one as kindly as we do the other one mm-hmm. um yeah. and, and the supreme court did eventually do the right things in those cases um yeah. But it, they, it really, uh, I, I point them out to highlight the the dichotomy that you're talking right. about there. Well, and it's really funny to bring up the Quakers. Um, if if I were to say in the military, oh, I, I you know have an objection to this because I'm a, a secular humanist, right? Yeah. Like at the side eye, but the secular humanists are endorsed by the Quakers. And if I were to say, <laughs> oh, well, I'm a Quaker, <laughs> suddenly yeah. I would be given better attention. It's just it's silly. It's, yep. it's yeah, yeah. Yep. Um. Okay. So I. Uh, I have another question, um, presuming we have time, um, that's kind of off in a different direction. Um, the Guardian put out a article today that a, we'll call it an activist organization, has leaked a membership list for the Council for National Policy, um, a group that you talked about in your book, The Founding Myth. Uh, and it shows an alliance between Christian nationalists, far-right nationalists, and mainstream GOP uh, members. It had big names on it like Tim LaHaye, Frank Gaffney, Tony Perkins, as well as people like Jerome Corsi and Charlie Kirk, um, and Reince Priebus, right? Uh, some some fairly mainstream figures as well. Um Talk to me a little bit about this. Uh, yeah, this group. I mean, <laughs> we knew a little. We knew a few of those names. Uh, we Tim LaHaye. We knew Tim LaHaye is the author of that just god awful Left Behind series that mm-hmm. Has, mm-hmm. that has plagued our country with terrible yeah, I, movies. I remember when I was a kid, my dad gave me a Tim LaHaye book that was like basically the Myers Briggs 
grotesque but Christianized, and it was two layers deep of bullshit, and I'll never forget that. Well, he so Tim LaHaye is one of the granddaddies of Christian nationalism. He's also written a ton of books about how this is a Christian country and all the founding fathers were Christian. Yeah. I mean, and Christian nationalism is not solely about religion. It's this unholy alliance. I think I called it an incestuous marriage in the founding myth of conservative politics and conservative Christianity. And you have groups like the Council for National Policy sitting at the that nexus. Um, and, and there's really, a, we don't know a lot about the CNP. Um, I can't remember, I think it might've been ABC said it's one of the most powerful organizations you've never heard of. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it, it is, it is a shadowy, um, powerful cabal. I mean, the, the word cabal kind of was invented to <laughs> describe yeah. the Council for National <laughs> Policy. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it was founded by, by Tim LaHaye um, and its membership role has been secret until apparently today. Um, so I, I'm going to, I'm gonna planning on diving into this later on. Um, but you know, it, it's member or it's, excuse me, it's mission statement was to restore Judeo Christian values under the constitution, right? That is a clear Christian nationalist <laughs> statement. Um, so it, it, it's, it's, it's not new. Um, this is new information and it's good that it's being exposed because I mean, they're operating in the shadows for a reason. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I think that gets back to, you know, if any of our listeners like we'll, we'll include a link to the article in the show notes. And I think that's one of the places where your listener can kind of not let it slide. Like Andrew said, yeah. uh, and if people bring up, you know, any sort of thing about corruption in politics, make sure to bring up groups like this that are <laughs> yeah. engaged in active corruption of politics through things like the National Prayer Breakfast and uh, uh, the family and other other such yeah. organizations. Yeah. And there's really good information coming out too about national prayer breakfast. Um, Jonathan Larson over at the young Turks network. Um, he's an investigative journalist who worked for MSNBC. He's done, he's done a lot of really interesting stuff in the past. He also um, got some, Mem basically membership roles and people who attended some of the national prayer breakfasts and who they invited, things like that. And he's been publishing a, a series of articles uh, on the prayer breakfast lately um, that are really, really fascinating and, and worth your time as well. Thanks for, thanks for pointing that out to me. I normally, I, I have not followed the young Turks for a long time because of um, Sanks shenanigans. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but at that recommendation, I'll go give it a look. Yeah, he is. Um, Jonathan Larson is, um, I don't know. I don't really, I, I don't really understand the network either, but he seems to be more of an independent, um, uh, reporter. I mean, he's appeared on their programming, but, um, right. this, this looked like legit journalism to me. So. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I'd like to ask one more question. Um, Go for it. uh, narratives are really important. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the Christian myths are taught to kids in school. You know, I, I can't, I have asked peers just out of curiosity and none of them, none of them have said that they haven't. Sorry for the double negative seen the picture of George Washington praying. Uh, Delaware, yeah. Right. Um, and they're taught that at a young age. Um, do you have any recommendations? And if you don't, that's fine. This question's kind of out of the blue for like what humanist or, or otherwise secular parents can provide as, as like counter educational tools to their kids. Are there, are there kid level uh, uh, educational tools that's a really good question. Um, and especially, uh, I presume you mean specifically about U.S. history because it's just yes, really cool yeah, yeah. stuff. There's like some really cool science-y stuff and, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. out there. Um, but it doesn't seem that the niche for U.S. history is being 
being filled at all. Um, and that's, I think that in part of it is because we have the truth on our side. We're not trying to indoctrinate right, right. like the Christian nationalists are, right? We're like, just go read a real history book. Don't <laughs> yeah, yeah. To the liars. I guess, I guess the problem is, uh, is no, no, like, I mean, depending on whether their book comes from Texas yeah. or California, right? No, you're a hundred, you're a hundred percent right to identify it. And I, I'll say, I'll say I've been asked, um, a variation of this question quite a few times now. Um, and, I think I think I'm at the point where we're going to have to look and talk with the publisher about possibly doing something um, with the founding myth at different levels, okay. um, different either grade levels or you know maybe even like so, something for for really young kids. Um, I, I, but again, you know, not with an, with an eye just towards um, some people say this. Here's what really happened, <laughs> right? Um, right. Because I, I mean, mean the, yeah, I mean the 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 Washington praying in the snow at Valley Forge, it's it's crazy, and I, I this was one of the favorite parts of the founding myth that I when I got to research and write it, I just really enjoyed because we know where that myth comes from. Mm -hmm. We like you can identify it and trace it back to a single individual, a parson, right, a religious leader named mm -hmm. Mason Locke Weems, who was this itinerant preacher who published like ridiculous intentionally bombastic pamphlets, um, including like anti-masturbation screeds and stuff like did not give a damn about being truthful. Like all he wanted mm -hmm. to do was sell stuff. That was all, all he cared about, whatever he can include. So in the like, uh, don't quote me on this number, but it's in the founding in the like 30th edition of his hagiography of Washington, he adds this story about Washington praying in the snow at Valley Forge. And it's like 30 years or more after the event happened, there's no primary sources. It it, it didn't happen. We know it's it like didn't the Bible. Happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we, I mean, we, and we, we know it didn't happen. We know it comes from a disreputable. This is the same guy who did the myth about George Washington chopping down the cherry tree and then not yeah. being able to lie about it. Like mm -hmm. we we know, and yet there's a stained glass window depicting this falsehood in the U S Capitol, in the prayer yeah. room in the U S Capitol, which was yeah. built in the 1950s during that wave of Christian nationalism we were talking about. So um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's frustrating because we know that it didn't happen and yet still it has been adopted and pushed and pushed and pushed. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, I go over a bunch of these in the founding. It's so help me God uh, right. uh, is another one um, being said by presidents as they're being sworn in. You can trace that back to Washington Irving who wrote Whit, Rip Van Winkle. Like this guy, he invents <laughs> fables and myths. But that was what he did. Right. right. Well, and you just, so you just mentioned that, you know, we had a prior wave of Christian nationalism. Is this something that you think, will just come in waves like what ended the first wave of christian nationalism or did it actually end is it just a continuing slide into that yeah i mean it, it sort of subsides but it, there, it's still there um the problem is that it leaves you know detritus behind so i mean the, all these myths that we've just been talking about washington praying so help me god and god we trust when they all of that are you you can pinpoint those to previous waves of Christian nationalism, but then they're left behind. And I think part of the reason that we're seeing more frequent waves and more powerful waves of Christian nationalism is because they're not having to do a lot of that identity building work. They can point to all of the relics and artifacts that were left behind by these previous waves and say, no, no, no. See, look, we're a Christian nation. It's on our buildings. It's on our money. Mm -hmm. We say it every morning in schools. Like, and all of a sudden, like the, the argument is much easier to make. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And they've, they've undone the idea of America as, you know, the first nation to create um, a, a separation of state and church to create a secular Republic. Um, yeah. You know, one of the things I, I, I like to point out is that, 
you know, America, America is a shared idea and Christian nationalism refuses to share. It excludes non-Christians and, and the wrong kind of Christians too. Uh, so uh, America will never be a Christian nation because the moment it becomes a Christian nation, it will cease to be America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the, those two things cannot peacefully coexist. One will triumph. So, the, I mean, that is the face that we, the choice that we face as a nation, right? Christian nationalism or America, because we really cannot have both. I, I have a, a thought that occurred to me. Um, it's, it's kind of arcane. Um, and so if, if you as a law talking person and say like, there's no, there's no there, there, right. Then, then feel free to swat it down. But it, it makes me think about our kind of co-founding with France, right? Mm-hmm. Because we were very intertwined yeah, at yeah. our founding and at their revolution and their principle or, or philosophy of, um, and I'm going to butcher the French, but la cité, I think is how it's pronounced. La cité. Yeah. Thank you. Um, is there anything we can learn from that? Right. Is there any writing that we can look to for that? Yeah. Uh, you know, I actually, I jotted down uh, a couple months ago, I'm working on weaponizing religious freedom, but I jotted down, <laughs> um, a ton of ideas about just like the, the historical relationship of America and France. Cause it's so fascinating and it goes yeah. beyond just our founding and their founding and Lafayette and Washington to Franklin. I mean, like even, Penn. yeah. Yeah. And, and even, but even like the, the, you, you can come, you can advance, like even the, the history of, of, of flight. Um, like, like the Wright brothers have this, these really fascinating ties to, to France. Anyway, um, television too. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. sorry. I, I, yeah, no, it's okay. I mean, point B, like I, like I was, I, it was one of those moments where you just like, like, I was like, I, this is a whole thing. I got to write it someday. So I have, I have a list of those that, okay. you know, I'll, I'll bother you will, about that again. Most of them months. won't get written, but I mean, La Cité <laughs> is, um, it is separation of state and church, but it's a, it's more active um, mm-hmm. in a way. Um, and, and, you know, it, it is, um, it, I think it crosses a line that we, we have here in America to more actively suppressing religion in, a, in the public sphere versus um, the American principle would be the machinery of the state cannot be used to advance religion in any way, shape or form. Right, right. Um, but we allow it out in public. You know, you, you can go to the town square and kneel down and pray, but the government can't give you a microphone to do that. Um, yeah. uh, you know, kind of, kind of, and the, uh, France laicite is a little bit more um, stringent and, and that comes from their, their concept of individual rights and freedoms being a little less uh, maybe robust than ours yeah. um, or, or different, actually not robust in less individualistic, I think is the way that I would say it. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a, it's a, it's a fascinating and a lot of smarter people than I have written on this already. So I, I might bother you uh, offline about, yeah. about maybe some of those works to read. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there, is there anything today that you want to talk about that we haven't thought to ask you about? No, but you know, I mean, I'm happy to come back on anytime you guys want to do this. This is a fun conversation. It's a really nice way to break up the middle of the workday for me. <laughs> uh, We'd be happy to have you on anytime, uh, yeah, especially, absolutely. especially as you, um, you know, are, are able to announce this next project, um, you know, when, when, uh, weaponizing religious freedom comes on, if any big events happen that, yeah. uh, that, that is your area of expertise, we'll be happy to reach out to you. Yeah. And if you guys ever, you know, if, if you want, want me to come on and talk legal stuff or, Hey, what's that Supreme court 
doing now, screwing up now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Like, come on, so just let me know. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy to do how our, how our nation keep feeling bad about not going to law school. <laughs> yeah, I think they said our our Supreme Court is at one of its lowest levels of trust right now. I can't remember they said oh. like since like the nineteen. 50s or 60s like since, since they started uh asking that question yeah a uh, self-inflicted and, and, wound and for sure not even close to as low as it should be <laughs> right right like, I mean, like we're no joke. Dred scott levels like, like it is yeah. it is it is absolutely terrible this yeah. this is this yeah. is not an impartial partisan no. that supreme court that you learned about in your high school and middle school classes that is not does not exist and it's a completely self-inflicted wound like this is this is all brought on by the justices who are serving on the bench well, and, well but it was and, done deliberately, though. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah. like like Mitch McConnell did not steal seats to just put an impartial justice on the court that he liked better than somebody else. Right. He did it to put an activist on the court that would enshrine minority rule. Like mm-hmm. they packed the court on purpose. Yeah. Right. So right. The, the question isn't like, are we going to pack the courts? It, the court has already mm-hmm. been packed. What yeah. are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Is the question. Right. Well, and, and the justices that are most extreme were appointed by the two presidents in history who did not win the popular vote yeah. and, and really got through on, on electoral college bullshit. Man, you guys are going to love the new book. <laughs> I got to say. <laughs> I got to say. <laughs> yeah, I'll leave it there. But yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Fair. Well, thank you so much, uh, Andrew Seidel. Um, if, if anyone wants to go to the, uh, FFRF convention, it's in Boston, uh, the 19th through the 21st, you'll be giving a workshop there. Uh, listeners can pick up your book, uh, the founding myth, um, at bookshop.org. Wait, wait till the paperback or buy yep, wait for the paperback. Pre, yeah, pre, um, or, pre-order the paperback would be yeah, our preference. Yeah. And, uh, hopefully I'll see you there at, uh, at Boston. So. Yeah. 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 And if anybody, if, uh, you know, if you're listening to this and you have a follow up question or anything like that for me, I'm pretty reachable on Twitter. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, though I don't ever check those messages, but, uh, <laughs> I, I'll respond probably on Twitter. Andrew L. Seidel at all those places. So cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so yeah, much. Thank you. Gentlemen, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Hi, this is Allison Gill. I'm Vice President for Legal and Policy for American Atheists, and you're listening to The Godless Revolution. Hey, Tina, we've got a problem at the registers. They're not accepting coupons. Didn't you get that email? We're only accepting digital coupons now. What? Zephyr's just updating things a little. It seems crazy to change something that's working. Excuse me, do you have gay iPad cases? Uh, yeah, in electronics. Have a heavenly day. Wait, you didn't hear about that either what oh today is fun for me zephyr's asking that we no longer use the term heavenly day what yeah there was a memo they feel it's a little loaded yeah yeah it's loaded with kindness it's the same thing as saying have a nice day or have a good day great then say one of those instead if you have questions comments concerns compliments corrections criticisms or concepts for content contact the show via email at godlessrevolution at gmail.com by text or voicemail at 330-81-REBEL or Twitter the twatter at TGR Podcast. Thank you. What a fun interview, man. I had so much fun during that. That was so cool. He's such a great interviewee. And like I said, you know, before we dropped everybody into the interview, like it's just so refreshing to talk to somebody who knows their shit inside and out and can run, you know, a hundred miles in any direction you want to set them off in because his knowledge is just so wide and deep about so many different things. Which mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. it was it was definitely one of those cases of like 
Oh, go ahead. So I'll just say future opportunities to talk to him again. Yeah. There's so much more out yeah. there. Yeah. It was, uh, it was definitely one of the positive examples of like meet your heroes. Cause like all the, all the authors that he was, you know, talking about during the interview is like, Oh, I've read that book. I've read that person's book. I know the person's <laughs> book he's referencing. It's like, ah, I get to like hear this stuff from the horse's mouth. Like it was, ah, it was just really cool for me. Well, and you did such a great job during the interview as the interviewer. Like I know that you. Oh, nah. You know, you're, you're, you're a huge Andrew Seidel fan. I am too. Like I, I, I think his, uh, work with the FFRF is amazing and important. His book mm-hmm, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. He's a great debater and he's, he's a joy to talk to. Um, yeah. I, and, and that's the thing, like almost more importantly, he's a good communicator and mm-hmm. he has a fantastic ability to take complex or arcane things and make them accessible to people who are not as well educated as he is on the subjects and make them feel like they're able to consume that information without being like talked down to or, or, you know, like they're sitting in a lecture, like mm-hmm. he just makes it conversational in a way that's, that's rare to be able to do. So oh, yeah. that was, that's fantastic. That's part of why I like his book so much. Um, cause like you could, you could toss that book on a high schooler's desk and they'd get it. Oh yeah. You know, well, and there were so many, there were so many points, uh, while he was, while he was answering questions and everything that I wanted to jump in with another question. But at the same time, I didn't want to, to jump in and, and push anything off the tracks because it was, all just going so well and and the answers were so fantastic that by the time we got to to a a lull in anything it was like oh well that moment is passed but i'll have to keep it in mind for when we have (laughs) him on the show next time because oh i've got i've got an entire like like cheat of notes over the course of that interview where i was like okay look that person up later or make sure to come back to like it was yeah that was that was a blast yeah i had i had a really good time in in that interview that was just so much fun to listen to all of his answers and also kind of fucking terrifying. Uh, yeah, at a bunch yeah. Of no, the that's true. It's kind of hard to be that excited about like how close we are to Christian fascist takeover of the government. How, but how here we are. are. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited. I'm putting in a, a PTO request as soon as we're done with this episode and I'm going to do everything I can to be at that convention uh, in Boston. So any of you guys want to go as well, listeners, um, you know, try to let us know in advance. Uh, and I should be able to say by next week's episode, if I'm going to be going and if I am like, feel free to holler at me if you're there. Yeah. So, yeah. And I'm, I'm going to check my schedule and everything too. It may be a little difficult, but too, I mean, yeah. you know, it's the end of the month and apparently federal employees are still, uh, completely unaware of whether we're going to be working tomorrow or if the government is shutting down or if the government is still shutting down, but we're going to be working anyway without pay. So, yep. Well, I do have an update from seven minutes ago that the Senate has passed a shutdown avoidance bill and they're sending it to the House. Oh, good. Well, I mean, yeah, but now it goes to the House and it'll be just like normal. Nope. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a stopgap that goes till December 3rd. Okay. Oh, good. So then I historically the country has been pretty good at stop gaps. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know they have. There's been a couple stop gaps already that's that they haven't voted on. It'll Mm -hmm. be the same thing. It'll go till the fucking 12th hour Mm -hmm. and then they'll finally vote on something. It'll it'll go until the Democrats can find and are willing to use dirt on mansion and cinema to get them to actually play (laughs) fucking ball. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at this point, I just. it, this is going to open up a whole can of worms that we don't have to discuss, but I just, I don't understand why the fuck they're doing what they're doing. It doesn't make any sense to me at all, unless they want to try to maintain this air of <laughs> the, 
The, um, the short version is this, um, and it's actually something I've been wanting to do, like an article or an episode or something like that on. Yeah. Um, America has a unipolar political system now. Mm-hmm. Um, Republicans have coalesced around this dark allegiance of Christian nationalism and corporate shilling, mm-hmm. basically. And that is what the Republican Party is. And all other special interest groups that in a sane country might not be aligned must align themselves under the banner of being a Democrat um, in order to acquire any political power at all. You know, and in a parliamentary system or in a system where Republicans weren't fascists, these groups might be otherwise aligned. Like because of the Catholic influence, you might see more Latinos, for example, aligned with Republicans than Democrats. But because Republicans are so virulently racist, they align themselves with Democrats, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people like Kristen Cinema and uh, uh, Joe Manchin would definitely be Republicans if Republicans were sane, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you've got people with very disparate agendas and values uniting under the big tent of uh, the Democratic Party because the alternative is or proto-fascists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I, it just, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the sense of <sighs> them. Excuse me. Sorry. Of them, You're fine. Of them, I'm so sorry. Of them, you know, ostensibly being elected to represent the people who voted for them and the people who voted for them overwhelmingly are in favor of the reconciliation bill and the build back better stuff like it. Yeah. Every everybody, all of their constituents of note who would be mm-hmm. reelecting them are in favor of them passing this. And it's yeah. but if if you think about it in terms of like like so mansion, right? We've gotten new financials on him, right? Mm. He makes about half a million dollars in dividends from a coal-based energy company that he started in nineteen, I want to say either eighty-eight or ninety-eight. I'm gonna say ninety-eight if I recall correctly. Mm. Um he started this coal-based energy company turned over ownership of it to his son. His son still runs this company and Manchin calls that a blind trust, which is just as much a blind trust as when Trump turned the Trump Trump organization over to fucking Beavis and Butthead. Um, (laughs) And, and he makes half a million dollars a year from selling coal and the current legislation for the, for the 3.5 trillion, you know, um, uh, secondary element of the infrastructure bill includes new restrictions on coal, a lack of federal funding towards coal, transitioning away from coal. So for him, it benefits him more to leave office and continue making coal money, having killed, you know, strangled the, uh, the infrastructure bill in the cradle, mm-hmm. right? Then for him to continue in office, uh, and this change not having happened. Because if he stymies this infrastructure bill at this point, it could be another decade before Democrats get the chance to do it again because of the way that control of Congress tends to swing back and forth. Mm-hmm. In the long game, it's a smart move for him. It's just the, also the corrupt move for yeah. him. Mm. Well, that was that was not happy news. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> it makes man. Me, it makes me uh, feel like this the, the whole thing may come down and, and house cards. I don't know. Yeah. We'll have to see how it progresses. The, the smart thing for Biden to do would be to, um, under the table, lean on the Department of Justice to continue looking into Mansion's corrupt connections with that energy company mm-hmm. and and like basically insider trader stuff with regards to his policy that he's worked in Congress, vice the you know 
interests that he has that are a conflict of interest and basically say like, I can make this legally painful for you. Mm-hmm. And you can call me out and say, Oh, Biden is leaning on the department of justice. He's just like Trump, yada, yada, yada. But like, I'm already going to be losing points anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. If, if this infrastructure bill doesn't, yeah, if, pass, so if, I have if my agenda isn't, isn't pushed through, then it doesn't fucking matter. So, right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to make this as painful for you as possible. Yeah. Try me. Right. That's yeah. what he needs to do. Um, well, let's yeah. just hope that the entire country isn't flushed down the shitter for $500,000 in coal money every year. Yeah. Well, I mean, no. how, like they've probably done it for less. Oh, yeah. absolutely. They've done it for less. Why don't, yeah. why don't we get some of that George Soros money going to Mansion's pocket and say, I'll, I'll replace your <laughs> either that or Bloomberg, who spent, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars on a failed fucking presidential campaign. Yeah. Kick I'm, some of that I'm toward Joe Manchin. To, yeah, kick some of that toward Joe Manchin to get him off of his ass and and help the world at large. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we've run out of time. Before <laughs> before we go though, I want to make sure that we thank our Patreon supporters: Alan Firth, Don't Be a Richard, Hunter Grin, John McCullough, Ollie Olson, Sinead Duffy, Steve Kuno, Stephen Andrews, Tiffany Hudson. Vanessa, Corey Ebert, Jeff Peterson, Jeremy Goodson, Matthew Sanders, Megan Mitchell, the guy that asked questions before he finishes the show, Alex Jones, Gay Frog Brigade, Utah Outcasts, Wesley Aaron, Freethinker215, Janet Uter, Purple Dragon, Sarah Segovia, Savita Kuna, Ted Sullen, Tim Jacobson, Trisha Weir. A noble spirit embiggens the smallest man. A perfectly cromulent statement. And James. Thank you see you why all. I wanted to go third? <laughs> Thank you all <laughs> so very much for your donations to the show. We really appreciate it. If you, dear listener, would like to become a Patreon patron, you can do so easily by going to patreon.com slash godlessrevolution, where you can contribute as little as $1 per episode. And that entitles you to such things as early releases of episodes, bonus episodes, extended outtakes, clips from the cutting room floor, all kinds of fun stuff. So we would like to see you over there. If you are averse to giving your money over to Patreon to then in turn give it to us, you can send us money through PayPal uh, using our godlessrevolution at gmail.com address. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for everything. Thank you guys for joining me tonight. Oh, yeah. I'd like to thank Andrew yeah. for being such a fantastic guest. I look forward to having him on again in future episodes. He's just, he's, he's a joy to yeah. speak with and listen to. Yeah. That was an absolute blast. Yeah. All right. Well, I got to get back to it, guys. Yeah. Me too. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. I'm going to go eat pizza. All right. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Cloud all in my head Woke in the morning with a hoe I didn't know in my bed Walked to the mirror Saw my eyes bloody red That's the evil I said But I shouldn't really feel that Instead block out the feedback Yeah, we don't need that I'ma show you where the fucking drinks And the weed at When the beat bangs This shit gon' blow your weave back You gon' have to run this shit back For a recap Back for a recap 
Yeah, I'm right back in a wreak hat. Pick up on your bitch ass, I'm doing it quick, fast. Sorry for the mishaps, I just spazz. I'm liable to break a bitch off like a Kit Kat. So sit back, I'm gonna need you to relax. You're gonna have to kick it like you relax. You better believe that these beats get these bitches on their knees stat. That's my feedback. Fresh talk to them. Yeah, all I ever wanted to do was hit the blunt Cause I couldn't see it fucking me up But now I'm cross-faded, the vibe is fading It's cool though, I'm adapting, my mind is changing Of all places to be, I'm in the spot, you see So it's already like I won the fucking lottery I gotta be out of my goddamn mind To let it happen to me every goddamn time And if I'm the fucking outcast like Big Boy in three stacks I still block out the feedback, talk to him And if I'm the fucking outcast like Big Boy in three stacks, I still block out the feedback. Talk to him. friend in high school who during football gave himself the nickname of Xena Warrior Penis. <laughs> that's such a good fucking hash name. I'm writing that down. Yeah. Holy yeah, yeah. shit, that's good. How am I coming in here? I got a little bit of a new setup that I'm that I'm just trying out, which I realized I should have done before we did this. So <laughs> sound okay? Yeah, all that sounds really good. Uh, so, and the last name is Seidel. Uh, like, <laughs> ah, goddamn it, Dan! Like, we talked about that. Uh, Seidel to the bar for a drink. I'm, I'm sorry. No, don't worry about it at all. I honestly don't care. Um, I like mo- most of the time. I think I don't even bother to correct people because I don't. I genuinely don't care. No, we literally had like a five minute discussion on how bad I am with names before the show, like with me repeating your name over and over, and I, like. Yeah, as soon so as you as soon as you hit his name in the question, I was like, oh man, we just fucking talked about that. That's hilarious. I'm so sorry. No, don't worry about it at all. Yeah. It's not I I genuinely I am not a person that ever takes offense to that. <laughs> I'm working on weaponizing religious freedom.